My name is Andrew Gamison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. I am super glad that you've joined me this week for another opportunity to be encouraged on this journey that we call the Christian life. Today on the show, I am sharing the balance of my conversation with Les and Carol Carew. I think you're really going to like this second part as they go into a little more detail about uh, what it is that they've been doing in Chad, including talking about radio ministry, uh, teaching English as a second language, doing kids camps, and there's some more surprises in store as well. And so I, I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. I did want to give you a little bit of an editorial note at the beginning here. Uh, because some people have been a little bit uncomfortable or a little taken aback by my um, current events segment, What's Going On, I am going to make an amendment to my podcast. And that is, if you go to the description of the podcast when it posts, you will find timestamps uh, for each of my news stories as well as for the interview. So that if you just want to skip over the news stories and go right to the interview, that is your prerogative. I'm going to continue sharing uh, news and culture from a Christian perspective because I do believe that it is important uh, as we traverse this Christian journey to speak out and spread light into all facets of living as a part of our communities. I truly believe, especially over the last couple of years, that the need to rightly divide the word of truth and to respond to culture with truth and love is so important. So the What's Going On segment will continue to be a part of Speaking for Him, but you will have the option to fast forward through it and find the place where you can join in with our main segment. So I just wanted to say that word of encouragement to you at the beginning here, and then really quickly before I go on to What's Going On, I just want to share that I'm excited to finally be able to share with you next week my review of the Jesus Revolution movie. I had the privilege to see an early screening. I thought I was going to be able to share uh, that movie review early, but the rules have prohibited me from doing so. But that movie is finally out this coming week, and so I will finally be able to share it with you next week for the podcast. And I'm looking forward to uh, sharing that with you and uh, just sharing with you my thoughts on the Jesus Revolution. And I think it's very appropriate um, that the Jesus Revolution is coming out now, what with the revival that is going on at Asbury University. Well, with that being said, let's find out what is going on. Okay, well, I just want to share two quick things with you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on either of these, but I think they are important to have a good discussion on, and they relate to Christians' response to things that are happening within our culture. And the the first thing I want to direct you to is the fact that over the last few weeks, there has been 
something of a revival at Asbury University in Kentucky. And as this has been unfolding, I've seen many people discussing it. Is it legit? Is it not? And as I was contemplating how to respond to this, I came across this clip from one of my favorite preachers, David Giesick. David is a dedicated preacher of the Word of God who who loves people and wants to see people come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I use his commentary a lot when I'm preparing a message, and I've just really appreciated his insight. Um, so here's a little clip of what he said about the work that is going on at Asbury University in Kentucky. So I, I think we have many biblical examples of revival. And at least in some way, I think what we see right now happening in Asbury is at least the beginnings or could be a significant work of revival. I mean, time will tell. I, I have noted some objections that people have. And I think those objections can in some ways be answered. I've heard the objection. They aren't preaching the gospel. But, but friends, I, I think there's a difference between revival and spiritual awakening. I would define revival as a move of God's spirit among the people of God. They are being revived in their Christian commitment, in their life with God. There's a work of cleansing that happens, a work of increased devotion unto the Lord. You could say you, you can never be revived unless you were vived to begin with. Revival happens among the people of God. And yes, there's a preaching of the gospel, but but it's not primarily evangelistic. Spiritual awakening is, I think, when there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon a community and many people come to Christ. And there, of course, you would have a much more visible demonstration of preaching the gospel. I, I've heard the objection to this work in Asbury under the heading, there are strange people joining up with it. Now, friends, that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, there's sort of a character in the Christian world. I, I would regard him something of a charlatan, Todd Bentley. Uh, he's publicly said on social media, hey, I'm going there. Hey, I'm looking at what's happening here in Asbury. Friends, if this were to become the Todd Bentley revival, that would be a big concern. Uh, so wait and see. I, I've seen people object, hey, it's not translating into social action. <laughs> My response would be, good heavens, give it some time. It's seven days. Look, look, th this may be a 10 day beautiful outpouring of God's spirit without going much farther. Well, well, that's something good, but it just is what it is. People have offered the objection that it's not like certain previous revivals. True, not yet, but that's in the nature of revival. It isn't always the same. And again, sort of linked to a previous objection, there's not many people coming to salvation. And again, I would point to that distinction between revival and spiritual awakening. Both are responses to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but they have different impacts. Look, there's definitely things I like about what I'm hearing from Asbury. It seems spontaneous and not orchestrated. Praise the Lord for that. It seems sincere and not for show. As of yet, it hasn't been taken over, so to speak, by some Christian celebrity. That's a very good thing. It reportedly began with the confession of sin. That's something very good. And there is some note that it's happened there before. 
Friends, I've spoken with some people who were present at Asbury in 1970 when there was a wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's that, that's something characteristic. It, sometimes it happens with revival that where it's happened before and reportedly both in 1953 and in 1970, there were very similar works, both in February at the same university. So I just thought that was a very good insight or group of insights from David Giesick about this work of God in Asbury. Um, I just have a couple of thoughts. Number one, I never want to put God in a box and say that he can't work in this way. I don't want to definitively come on here and say there is not revival breaking out at Asbury. But as I commented on someone's Facebook post who was addressing this issue, I said the true test of the revival is not how long the formal revival goes on, but what these people do with their lives and for God as the formal revival breaks up. I think it's interesting that we call meetings revivals. When I was growing up in the Baptist church, we would often have like one week of revival meetings a year. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's kind of a good thing to get rejuvenated in your faith and get excited about the things of the Lord and to hold forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. I look back fondly at some of those memories, but the reality is that true revival is a work of God. And so the true measure of this revival will be, can we see fruits that will remain fruits of righteousness that come out of this revival. And my prayer is yes. David points out that he has heard testimonies from previous revivals at Asbury where God did work mightily and change people's lives. So he believes, based on that, that the same thing is happening here. And my prayer is that it is. I will say that one thing that does convict me about this is sometimes I, along with many others, because we are human, tend to believe that revival only comes in one form, and if it doesn't come the way we think it should, then it's not true true revival. And I think we need to be careful about that, because we are not perfect, and We don't know how God is working in the lives of the people who are there at Asbury. So my prayer is that revival would spill out of this chapel service through Kentucky, through the South, and up into the Midwest, and that the United States would see an amazing change, an amazing turning to God. Because that's what true revival is about. But I will say this word of caution. I don't believe that true revival is working yourself up into a lather, is going to 12 days of worship services and getting caught up in the emotion of the moment. Yes, we are emotional creatures. But I think sometimes we mistake emotions for a connection with God. 
and they are not synonymous. As David also pointed out, we need to be careful that this is not a platform for false teachers. Again, it does not appear to be that. It appears to be the genuine article, people giving really good testimonies. I heard one story about the fact that Fox News contacted Asbury University and said, we want to come to your campus to cover this revival. And they said, no, we do not want the media here. That's not what this is about. We're not trying to get fame or notoriety. We're just trying to be honest before God. And now I have read that they are getting ready to wrap up the formal portion of this revival because it's important for them to get back to daily life, to get back to classes at Asbury, and to get back to doing other things. I've often reflected on this when I've gone on family vacations, particularly when my family used to go to Camp Aokaya for a Christian family camp every summer. I would go there and I would often say that it is a piece of heaven on earth, that it's the closest thing to heaven that I've ever experienced, and I truly do believe that. There's nothing greater than spending a whole week with other people that love Jesus and just being in constant fellowship with them, whether it's eating food together, whether it's doing shuffleboard together, whether it's watching people swim, uh, whatever the, the activity was, it was just filled with joy. But I would often reflect toward the end of camp that as great as it was to be there, if we stayed at the camp full time, which in some ways seemed appealing, we would not be doing our jobs. Which is to go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go ye therefore and teach everyone the things that Jesus has taught us. And as the apostles were in the book of Acts, to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Yes, it is good to recharge, but we need to be salt and light. The Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we wouldn't be doing that if we stayed at the camp full time. The same is true of the Asbury Revival. They would not be letting their light so shine before men if they spent all of their time in the chapel. They need to equip themselves to go out into the world and spread the gospel, and then they need to go and do so. And so I'm very encouraged by what I hear, but I also see the need for caution and so my my request to you as my listener would be to pray for the students at Asbury that they would be encouraged in the gospel that the decisions that they have made during this time of revival would be real that they would be lasting because only the spirit of God can do that it's not something that you can decide to do you can't really say even though, as I said earlier, we use the term, you can't really say, well, I'm going to have a revival for a week and we'll see what God does. True revival comes when the Spirit of God finds willing hearts and those hearts are changed. The biggest times of revival in my life has been when God has dealt with me personally, not when I'm in a big meeting full of people 
who are attending, quote-unquote, a revival. The next thing that I want to talk to you about today is the He Gets Us campaign. Now, this campaign kind of crept up on our televisions actually a little bit before the Super Bowl, I think. They made a big splash on the Super Bowl, but I'm pretty sure I saw some ads leading up to the Super Bowl from this campaign called He Gets Us. I did an initial perusal of their website, and it seemed like they were quite legit, that their desire was to expose more people to the wisdom of Jesus and to encourage them to ask questions, which would lead them into a saving knowledge of the Lord. I then saw a blog post by a Christian podcaster that was uh, talking about some criticisms that she had of the campaign. And again, those seemed like reasonable cautions. So the question is, what do we do about a campaign like this? For some context, the He Gets Us campaign is a series of commercials that talk about how Jesus relates to us as human beings. As I was trying to sort through this, once again, it was a big forum of conversation on social media. Many Christians and non-Christians alike were against the campaign for various reasons. As I have tried to sort through this, I think the true answer is somewhere in the middle. And this clip from a YouTuber that I've grown to respect who goes by what do you meme kind of sums it up for me. But for that reason, we might expect non-Christians to be against the commercials being played during the Super Bowl. But surprisingly, lots of Christians have been just as vocal about the rejection of the commercials as well. The first major complaint is that the He Gets Us campaign is teaching a false Jesus, a Jesus that's only a moral example, but nothing more. But rather than taking people's word for this on Twitter, I went to their website to read for myself what it is that they believe. And in their About Us section, they wrote, it wouldn't be hard to guess that we're led by Jesus fans and followers, people who believe he was much more than just a good guy and a profound teacher, and that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth, died, and was resurrected, then returned to heaven, and is alive today. So that's who they say that they believe that Jesus is. The second major complaint was the fact that the campaign didn't mention sin in the commercial, and some Christians were disappointed in that. Now, though I understand, and I agree, that when it comes to preaching the gospel, it's crucial to let people know that we've all missed the mark of his perfection, and that's why we need a Savior. But it wasn't clear to me that preaching the full gospel was the goal of the organization. In fact, Ruslan posted a video yesterday where he played a clip from Chris Bouchard, who's connected with the campaign, and here's how he describes their mission. Well, the He Gets This campaign uh, really is, it does two things. One, it's kind of a rebranding of Jesus Christ in America. There are a lot of misconceptions about Christ uh, here in America, <clears throat> um, people associating him with various political views and uh, various groups of people associating him with elitism and, and negative things in our country's past. And he gets us his rebranding that uh, showing that Jesus is for all people of all races, ethnicities, uh, of all socioeconomic statuses. Uh, so that's one thing it's doing, but also it's kind of showing in our polar society, how, um, you know, people are either getting angry uh, with the other side or they're avoiding the other side altogether. 
And we're showing through Jesus, there's a third way. And that is to respect one another and to love other people with various views, different from yourself. Jesus obviously told us, taught us to love our enemies. Um, and so we want to just show that confounding love of Jesus Christ to America and showed it his example and his teachings and his life really uh, hold the answers to our modern day challenges that we're facing individually and as a society. All right. So now with that being said, Here's the thing. Sometimes it seems that we as Christians can get stuck in the flesh without even realizing it. We can too easily fall into an unbalance of false seeking while complaining that the world only promotes degeneracy. Then we complain that the world needs to make Jesus more known. Then when Christians try to make Jesus known, we don't just complain that it's not done in the way that we think that it should be done, but we start calling them all heretics and fake Christians on top of it. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cautious and that we shouldn't hold each other accountable for the things that we say publicly. But sometimes we go overboard with it in a way that's counterproductive and antithetical to making Jesus known to the broader public. Now, of course, I understand that a lot of us might have done the campaign differently, as I myself probably would have. But unless they're teaching blatant heresy, I think that we should be more welcoming to attempts to make Jesus and the gospel known, knowing that God knows that different people need different starting points at different times and that Christ can and does use all of them. I really liked this balanced view because let me tell you as someone who has been podcasting for over a decade, you know, if you've listened for any length of time that apologetics is a big part of what we do here on speaking for him. My biggest passion is to see people rightly divide the word of truth. But I think it's important for us to realize that, number one, Paul said that whether Christ is preached for selfish ambition or with true intent, it is enough that Christ is preached. So we should be glad whenever Christ is proclaimed. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I would like to say is that In this blog post in particular, it was pointed out as one of the first points that the He Gets Us campaign simply wanted people to relate to and connect to the human Jesus and not enough to the divine Jesus who is the way of salvation. On their website, though, they said that Many of the people associated with it believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again the third day to give us victory over sin. And so that is something we should be excited about, that these people who love the Lord wanted to do this. The next thing I would say is that 30 seconds on a commercial is not an adequate enough time to make a huge theological argument. The purpose of these commercials was to get people interested in Jesus. That being said, I do believe it's important to see Jesus as more than a moral teacher. And I do share concerns that this could have been handled in a different way that was maybe 
a more complete representation of the gospel. But I want to bring you to the story of Apollos in the book of Acts. I've been preaching through the book of Acts over the last few years, and I recently dealt with the story of Apollos. And the story of Apollos is such that he was in the synagogue preaching the word of God as he understood it. Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching the word of God, and they realized that his understanding of God was not complete because he only preached the baptism of John. He was looking forward to the coming of Jesus, not realizing that Jesus had come, had sacrificed for us, and then had gone back to heaven. And so Priscilla and Aquila, rather than criticize him, took him aside and taught him a more excellent way. So even if you have problems with the He Gets Us campaign, which I don't have a problem with people saying that, I don't think it's a perfect campaign, but even if you have problems with it, shouldn't your desire be, where possible, to say, I appreciate your effort, but let me tell you how this could have been better. And when we see people sharing Christ and we don't think it's done the correct way, may we first of all realize that there are many ways in which to share Christ, and second of all, be willing to pull Christians who are less mature aside and show them a more excellent way. That is part of the reason why I started the Speaking for Him podcast, is to help people walk closer with the Lord Jesus and to walk worthy in a manner that God would want them to walk as a believer in the Lord. None of us are perfect. We're all on the journey toward perfection. But we should always be attempting to reach God's standard. He's given us the Holy Spirit of God to help us to live the life that he wants us to live. He said, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. So we need to realize that. And it is important, as this clip pointed out, that we need to share the true Jesus. The reality, folks, is that Jesus was not just a good teacher with good moral lessons. Because a good teacher is not a liar. And Jesus claimed, rightly so, to be the God of the universe. Because he said in John chapter 8, Before Abraham was, I am. He invoked the name of God used in the burning bush. And he also admitted to being God when he was before the Sanhedrin before his death. They said, are you the son of God? And he said, I am. He accepted worship from people like the man born blind, who after he'd been cast out of the synagogue, Jesus found him and he said, do you believe on the son of God? And the man born blind said, tell me who he is so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, the one who speaks to you now is he. 
And the man fell down on his knees and worshipped him. And Jesus didn't say, I'm just a man, and pull him up to his feet. No, he accepted the worship. Why? Because he is, was, and always will be the only true Son of God. So anyway, I just think we need balance in all things. We need to be thankful that Jesus was put before millions of people on Super Bowl Sunday, and we need to pray that God can use this campaign to draw people closer to himself. Remember, Paul said, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. Well, I am super excited to share with you now the balance of my conversation with Les and Carol Carew. I had such fun with them as we talked about ministry and heeding God's call. And we even have a little bit of fun in this section of the interview when we talk about how they met and how they decided to marry and become partners for life. I just... Uh, really enjoyed spending time with them, and I hope that you will enjoy the remainder of this conversation. But before we get there, I want to share our quote of the day, and Carol is actually going to share this verse later in the interview, but I just wanted to share it as we begin. And so our quote of the day today comes from Isaiah 55, verse 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. And Carol was just relating this to working with the poor and destitute in Chad and sharing with them that even though they don't have much in the way of financial resources, they can still have the treasure of knowing that they are bought with a price, and that being the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and being his forever. So I'm just encouraged by this verse, and I hope that you will be encouraged as well to know that you are bought with a price and that God has a plan for you. So without further ado, please allow me to share the balance of my conversation with Les and Carol Carew, missionaries to Chad with Baptist Missions. You kind of talked about that, the relationship between you and the Muslims as being a pleasant surprise to your work. Are there any other things you'd like to add on that score? (laughs) He's looking at me. We have so much going on, Andrew, in and around our our place all the time. I would encourage people, first of all, you know, if you're looking into missions, come and visit. Come and, and hang out with us. Our door is always open. But at least go somewhere. You know, <laughs> as she talked earlier, my trip to Jamaica was really a, a precursor to me being involved in, in missions. So, I mean, I, I think it, it's great for especially young people to go to a place like that. I mean, even a place as close as Jamaica or, uh, 
Costa Rica or Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico. You can go to those places. You might see all the touristy stuff around the edge of the island, but go inside the islands. Get to where the real people live and try to understand them, and then you can understand how, you know, the majority of people in the world have to live. Yeah. So some of the things that we have going on on our compound Every week we have um, ESL classes and we have ESL club. Now, the club we turned over right away to the nationals. The youth in our community are really in charge of the club, ESL club, English club. Um, But by starting the club, it wasn't something that we originally planned on doing in in Chad. That was not what we felt that the Lord was calling us to start and to do. But our eyes were open because so many of the Muslim neighbors were coming to us and saying, hey, can you teach us English? And I was saying, no, I'm not a good English speaker and I make mistakes all the time in English. I don't want to try and teach it. But as they continued to press us, and finally the Lord really laid it on our hearts too, what a great ministry. And it has really opened our door. We have between one and 200 young people every week that come onto our compound, onto around our home, that hear the truth of the gospel, that are excited to learn English, to mingle with us, to do things with us. And we are so thankful that the Lord opened this door into one of the different ministries that we never imagined us doing. Um, this past term, Les also started another thing. I started a radio broadcast, which has been a blessing. So there, there are two radio stations in, in Sire. I wish I could get access to the other one, but I don't think that'll ever happen. But one is mostly for uh, Muslim listeners, and the other one is for everybody else. And so I've been going every other Sunday night on uh, the one radio station, Sire Radio, and I present either a message or I'll do a series on something. Uh, you know, and it's, it's a very interactive, uh-huh. uh, broadcast where people can call in or they can text in questions or comments. So it's been really a, a blessing. I did a discipleship series on that. I, I've done things on, uh, work salvation because there's a, a very, uh, there's a tremendous, uh, influence from Catholicism in uh the Christian community there on work salvation. So a lot of people just really don't understand true salvation yet. So it's been a good thing. So while he does that, we also do ministry to the refugees. And because we're one of the only, uh, we are the only missionary couple in Southern Chad that is ministering at all to the refugees, we go down as often as we can into these refugee camps, and Les will often preach in the camps. He's asked to come and preach, um, and he has a great story about one of these camps that he preached in one day. He should, if we have time, maybe he'll share it. But we also do kid games, and the kids in Chad, especially the refugees, their lives are very, very difficult. They don't have fun time. They don't have games. They don't have 
hardly any time to go out and just be a child. And also they struggle with food in the refugee camps. There, a lot of them don't have parents. They don't have food. They don't have good places to sleep. So we send word down a lot of times, like two, three days in advance that we're coming down and we're going to do kid, kid, it's almost like a kid camp that we do, but they don't spend the night. But we feed them during this time when we come down and do kid games with them. <clears throat> and as we're doing kid games, part of the group is out playing games, having a good time, letting them run and play and do games. And then the other half of the group is inside where we're teaching them songs, Christian songs, and we're giving them the gospel message. In one of these camps, Andrew, that we ended up in, we had over 700 children that came to hear about Jesus. So this is a huge part of our ministry, but maybe Les will share with you what happened when he was preaching, because a lot of times he preaches in these camps as well. So (laughs) often when we go to these camps, um, we need translators to work because French is a a language that they teach in the schools, but in the refugee camps, uh, there are a lot of them that don't speak French at all. And there are, multiple ethnic languages. We can't always use Sango. So one time I was preaching and I had a translator. So I was preaching in English. And then I, another young man was translating into French. And then from the French, a man from the village was translating into their ethnic language. And so I was talking about salvation and was telling people that, you know, I know for sure where I'm going to go when I die. I'm absolutely positive where I'm going to go when I die. And then the next man in French was telling them, you know, he said he knows, you know, where where he's going to go when he dies. And I, too, I know where I'm going to go when I die. I know that I'm going to be in heaven with the Lord. And the man translating into the ethnic language said, those two said they both know where they're going to go when they die but I don't have any idea what's going to happen to me. You know? <laughs> so, so anyway, through that, that that man came to the Lord that day, and there were just a number of other people that came to Christ that day. What a wonderful opportunity. That's one thing that humans are always looking for, isn't it? Hope. And yes. um, we can say that we have definite hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you said John wrote in his epistle, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. And so that's, that's what I always go back to when people ask about eternal security is that God said we can know. And so it's a definitive thing. God never says maybe he always speaks in the definitive article. And I really appreciate that about God. And we see in Hebrews that God says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Jesus that walked the earth 2,000 years ago is still reaching out to us today, and that is very exciting. Well, we've talked about a lot of things today, um, and I have a few more questions for you, um, but this one is a little bit more lighthearted and fun. It is February. It is the month of Valentine's Day, so I thought it would be neat if you guys told us a little bit about the story of how you guys met and decided to marry, because these stories always encourage me. 
Well, I'll start, and then I'll let her see if she wants to correct me on anything. But just remember that she's probably wrong. But uh, when uh, at the time when we met, I was working at a factory, a third shift job, and a good friend of mine was a manager at a gas station. And a lot of times uh, when I got out of work in the morning, I would go over to see him, and then we would – you know, he would do his business in the morning. We'd go out and have coffee or breakfast sometimes. Well, one day he had uh, said to me that he had a, a good-looking girl that had just started working for him. So I figured I better investigate this. <laughs> so I, I did, and, you know, I, it, I I was kind of a shy person at that time. I'll admit that. But I finally got around to asking her for a date. Oh. But Uh-oh. so I went to pick her up on this first date and her dad came to the door and said, no, she's out on a date. So the very first day we had, she stood me up. She was out with another guy. You know, she says that's not the truth, but, you know, I, I know it is. We have a conflict there <laughs> to this day. Uh, you know, and it, it's funny because when I first saw Less. Um, I had not even met him yet. I was riding in the car with my mom. She was dropping me off to work. And, and I was working at this gas station where we ended up meeting. And I was a young girl and home, uh, you know, back here in the States now trying to learn how to live. Yeah, well, her parents were on furlough. Yeah, my parents were on furlough. <clears throat> and before I even met him, I said to my mom, Ooh, that's the guy I'm going to marry someday. See, and she still stood me up. I don't understand that. But I said that to her, and my mom looked at him, and she looked at me, and she goes, really, Carol? <laughs> she well, you, like, you have to understand that my appearance was quite a lot different yes. in those days you know, than it is now. Yes. You know? He had long hair then. So it's, it was a big change from where we're at today. But um, I'm thankful that God saw past all this stuff. And he did ask me out. I said yes to him. We both have a difference on what day it was supposed to be. So it's a family humor thing that we have. But eventually we did go um, on that first date. And we ended up for hours on that first date, just sitting over a cup of coffee and talking through our, our few, you know, what we want, what we like, different things. And I think I was mostly listening. Maybe, maybe, but we really just connected. And it was from that moment, you know, that we, we were together from that moment on as, uh, I mean, we were still, you know, not, we were not living together or anything like that by any means because we, but we were just Literally. courting. I should say we were just courting yeah. during that time, heavily courting. So I remember her dad telling me though, he says, you know, in Africa, we sell our daughters. Yes. yes. <laughs> but his big joke is he's still paying the price, yeah. the bride price <laughs> for that. So, but God has been good to us. We've been married a number of years. And we're very thankful for all the blessings that God has brought to us and even all the, the trials and challenges 
he's he's pulled us through because uh it makes your your marriage more solid when you face those troubles and those challenges hand in hand well my dad has a similar story to the when he went to my mom's birthday party which was the first thing they did together because she thought that her cousin was her boyfriend originally so he thought he was going to be left out in the cold but they they both say that the birthday party was kind of their their first official thing that they did and then after that they went to um a movie i think it was at maple on baptist church of the cross and the switchblade and then they went out to russ's and my dad had a reuben sandwich the reason i know that is because every time he goes to russ's and many other restaurants he has reuben's he's one of the most predictable humans i know but anyway they met at a bible study in public school in the in the you know mid 70s which is pretty wild to think about today but uh They've been together almost 45 years in marriage and almost 49 years altogether. So I'm really blessed to have them in my life, obviously. Yes. yes. Yep. Uh, well, that's a great story. And so whether or not she stood you up or not, I'm glad you guys are together. And I'm glad that I got to become <laughs> friends with your kids. So. Yep, me too. I'm glad you know our children. Thank you. There is one, Andrew, that I would like to mention, one of our children that is not, you have not met yet. Um, he's not a birth child of ours. His name is Daniel. He's actually, he's a chatty and young man that lived with us um, and helped us a lot when in Chad. And this time coming back to the States, he had the privilege of coming back with us. And he's now in Bible school out at Frontier School of the Bible in the state of Wyoming. So I would really like your listeners to be praying much for Daniel. He's studying here with the hopes of going back and bringing the gospel back to his own people someday. But as you can imagine, studying in English when that is not your main language um, it's, it's difficult, but he's still carrying a really high, a 36, um, 3.5 grade point average. Um, so we're really proud of Daniel. We do, um, he does need help with the finances for the school. So if anybody out there listening would like to help Daniel with some of the financing he needs, they can send any donations to Camp Lake Baptist Church in Sparta, Michigan. But please be praying for Daniel as the Lord continues to guide him. We'll definitely be doing that, and I will put the um, information about Camp Lake on my blog so that people can avail themselves of that and hopefully support Daniel. That's an exciting thing. One thing I was going to say a little while back in this interview is that for five years I worked at Potter's house Christian high school, and it's really a melting pot high school. About 50% of the students that go there um, are from other countries. And um, so I spent a lot of my time teaching English um, as a second language and teaching kids how to read. And that's a challenge. I didn't realize how challenging our language actually is until I tried to teach other people 
the language because we have so many words that we use the word five different ways or, yes. you know, at least three different ways. And it, we don't think of it as confusing necessarily because we do it all the time. But when you're trying to convey that to someone who doesn't know the language, it's like, yikes, this is one of the more complicated languages. Yes. <laughs> yep. Very true. So what are your biggest prayer requests right now as you are planning to head back to Chad? Well, right, right now, of course, just for, you know, planning and getting, uh, supplies and taking back with us and for, for travel mercies, you know, as we're going back, we're still trying to work out some of the details as, as far as when we, when we finally get to the capital city where we fly into, it's if we, if, if we go by vehicle, it's about a 14 to 16 trip from there down to Sar where we are. So we're still trying to make those plans and seeing how we're going to do that, whether it's going to be one of their buses. Uh, it's like a charter bus that goes back and forth uh, all the time, or if it's going to be by a private vehicle, which we'd prefer So for that. But then just for the, the ministries, you know, for uh, the radio broadcast to continue, for uh, good weather uh, to be able to reach the refugees, uh, there's a dry season and a rainy season. And once the rainy season comes and, and the rain start, it's very difficult for us to get to the refugees because of the, the rugged roads. Uh, they just become uh, really quite impassable. So uh, pray for that. And then just for the, the people that we minister to on a daily basis, those in English club that come that it's mostly uh, mostly Muslim young people, and just that so we have opportunity to witness to them and to speak with them. And as I said earlier, they're they're very eager to talk to you about their faith as opposed to your faith. And you know, in those it always comes down to Christ and who was he and was he God or not, and things like that. You know, and and it's. It's very difficult for them to come to the realization that Christ was God and is Lord. But, you know, and one of the things is when they talk to you, they're just as interested in converting you to Islam as you are in converting them to Christ. But you can have some very good uh, conversations. So even here in America, you know, if, if it's, Something that you're interested in is witnessing to Muslims or people of any other faith, especially work salvation faith. You know, make sure that you know your stuff because they're, they know their stuff. They, they know what they believe. They know it very well. Yeah. Just like here in the United States, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses know what they believe. Mormons know what they believe. They think other people, they, they know what they believe. And a lot of times they're much better at expressing what they believe to you than you are about expressing and verifying what you believe to them. For me, as if I can add to that as well, Adam, uh, I mean, um, Andrew, one of the things that I would ask people to pray for at this time um, would be for us as we leave and we leave our family behind. It's for me, it's a very, going to be a very hard 
walk away <laughs> because my mom is struggling so much. But being 94 now, her memory is starting to slide and things like that are starting to happen to her. And so she could very well pass away while I'm gone to Africa this time. And if you think about that and you think, okay, you know, we're going to be in a different part of the world when our mothers might pass away. And how do we handle that? Do we come back or do we stay? You know, what would the Lord have us to do at that time in our lives? And so it's something that we think about and we talk about quite often, but it is getting hard to say goodbye to her, to my mom. It's also, of course, it's difficult to say goodbye to our children and even Daniel um, leaving him behind this time, too, as we walk back. It's difficult for him to think about that we're going to go back to his home and see his family, and he's going to be here in America, not being able to be with us back there as well. So pray for our families um, right now in this season of our lives. It's interesting that you mentioned those things because I, I'm actually preaching through the book of Acts at one of the churches that I preach on, and I'm going through Acts chapter 20, going to yes. preach on that tomorrow as of this recording. And one of the parts of that chapter is Paul saying goodbye to the Ephesians, and he says, I probably won't see you again on That's earth. Right. And it says that he, they fell on his neck and kissed him and grieved together. Um, even though they have the hope of heaven, they, it was still hard for him to leave. And it just reminds me that as great as Paul was, he was human. And, um, so that's a natural human response is, is to grieve those things, to know that you need to go back, but also to know the difficulties of doing that. So we will definitely, uh, be praying for you. Um, do you guys have a Bible verse, um, that kind of keeps you motivated and going in your ministry. Maybe not so much one single one, but one that is sustaining you right now. Well, I, for a long time, many years, especially when we were, uh, trying to get into ministry, uh, the verse that's always been a driving force for me was Luke 962. And says, any man having putting his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, and there have been many times when we have been or felt like we were being rejected as trying to get into the ministry. And, you know, you just have to keep pushing on. If you think God is, is really calling you to something, just keep pushing on until, you know, that door is just slammed shut. And as long as that door is not slammed shut, you know, there's always hope and God will see your perseverance. And I guess that's, that's always been a driving force for me. And the things that we've tried to do in Chad, even some of those things have been difficult to get going, but we just have to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it and see what the Lord will do if we persevere. Yeah. And like you said, Andrew, you know, I, I have so many passages in scripture that I just, I just love and Bible stories. We're doing, we do a lot of Bible storing. Um, in fact, we just started in some churches out there teaching Bible storing in order to t- take 
Bible stories out into the little villages that are out there. Because in our part of the world, a lot of the people groups don't even have scripture in their own languages. So they have no way. And a lot of times they have scripture in their own language, but they can't read their own language. Our country in 2016, it was deemed Chad was the second lowest in all the world on literacy. The literacy rate there is the second lowest in the world. So you can imagine all these people that have never heard the story of the scriptures that we so often take for granted. So I really love Bible storing and telling the truth and telling the stories of scripture. But one passage that has always been one that has spoken to my heart is Isaiah 55. I I love that whole passage, but verse 1 is really touches my heart because it says, Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without Christ. And in Chad, because our population is so poor, to let them know that they can have the hope of Christ, they can know for sure that they're going to have a future with him, and it doesn't cost them a thing that they just need to bow their knee to the to the Lord Jesus as their Savior and come to him. So I love that whole passage. Well, and it's interesting that you mention the literacy thing because back in the Bible times when these stories happened, the primary way that people conveyed them was through oral history. People didn't have their own Bibles. If they, if they did have scrolls, they were in synagogues um, and they had to go and have them read to them. And so first of all, we have a lot to be thankful for in the United States because we can saturate ourselves with the Bible. We can, have access to Bible teaching. And even myself, like I, I've had two, I feel like I have two great passions in life. One is preaching the word of God and the other is broadcasting. And so when you were talking about doing the radio work there in Chad, I was like, that's pretty awesome. I've always wanted to do radio work. Um, I've, I've thought for a long time when I was younger that I would be a disc jockey on Christian radio still kind of would like to do that someday, but then God kind of led me in some different directions. I I always say I was called to preach when I was 12, um, but I wasn't ready to preach when I was 12. So God had to lead me through quite a bit of other stuff before I finally surrendered and let him guide and decide how that was going to go. And then of course I discovered podcasting and I've been doing a weekly podcast without interruption for over 10 years. And so it's just been a blessing to be able to do that. And then I thought it was going to end when the pandemic started, but then God challenged me to learn how to edit and produce my own podcast and showed me some equipment to buy. And so I've been doing it at home for almost three years and it's given me a lot of flexibility and with you know, with video conferencing technology, I can do interviews right from my home as well. So it's just been amazing how God works when we let him lead. Yep. 
Um, so my final question for the day, and I really have enjoyed this conversation and it's great to catch up with you as friends as well as, um, partners in the gospel, um, is what is the biggest lesson that you think God is teaching you right now as we're sitting here in February, 2023? Um, well, I think especially for me, I've had, uh, a lot of people, uh, in our circle that are, you know, are familiar with our ministry know that I've had, uh, a lot of, uh, physical issues, you know, my, my back, uh, it has really limited me and things I've been able to do. And since we've been back this time, I've had two surgeries. So, and hopefully those things will be better as we go back. But just that, um, God is there. And he is able to take care of us if we will just put our faith in him and let him guide us. Uh, um, even through the difficulties that we had, that I had, uh, over the last two or three years while we were in Chad, God opened up more ministries to us. Uh, the radio broadcast, when I couldn't get out into the refugee villages and walk around and, and see people and talk to people, he opened up another avenue where I could speak to hundreds of people just through one voice, you know, on the radio. So it, we just need to put our faith in him and see what he will do, you know, even in those uh, difficult times. And for me, I, I think, you know, I mean, I have so many things, Andrew, that that go through my mind when you ask that question. And it, it's patience, you know, le- learning to lean into God, to give um, him everything and to have patience as you wait on him. Well, Les was so struggling so much with his health, you know, being able to walk and being able to to do things that he was in the past so able to do. I'm rejoicing that God has seen us through that time in his life and that the surgeries he took are are so helpful to him. But it was a really dark and difficult days for me. As I was unsure, you know, was the Lord going to continue to open up the door for us to go back? Or was the door going to be closed on us to go back because of health issues? So learning patience with God and learning to really trust in him day by day, you know, it, as a as a woman in Southern Chad, um, some things can be challenging and even down there learning to lean into God and to have patience um, through the challenges that he presents to us. I I know we didn't talk about this at all, but I think one of my challenges when we're down there in Chad is food. Les would say too, and not because we can't eat with the nationals we can, but just getting food supplies into our part of the world that most Americans rely on day by day. Um, we don't have your food choices or restaurants that we can go to or anything like that. So again, you know, it's, it's really driven me to really 
learn patience in whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm preparing, um, patience as I'm waiting on God here in America for my husband to feel well enough to go back again and to face the challenges that are going to be awaiting us when we return to our home in Chad. Well, those are all really good uh, thoughts as we end here. God is faithful. I think that's a theme that's coming through uh, this interview loud and clear. Thank you so much to the both of you for taking the time to sit down with me. I think that my listeners will really appreciate this. And I always get energized uh, by the interviews I get to do because I, I like to do the podcast no matter what, but there's nothing better than having a conversation and letting other people tell their stories and knowing that people are going to be encouraged by the stories that they hear. So thank you for your testimony of God's faithfulness and thank you for taking your time to be with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So once again, a big thank you to Les and Carol Carew for taking the time to share their story With us, I hope that you have found something in this interview to encourage you. I hope that if that is the case, that you will share it with friends and family. That's how people know what we're doing here on the Speaking for Him podcast. And it is my goal uh, to continue to be an encouragement to the church every week on this podcast for the foreseeable future, relying only on Jesus Christ, who thankfully is the same yesterday today, and forever. That's about all I have for you today. I just hope that you have a wonderful week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 